Tyrese Halliburton was stunned, Malika. Uh, the league is stunned at this trade. First 10 for three. Welcome to another edition of the Indy Cornrows Podcast. This is your host, Mark Schindler. As always, before we get started today, if you have not already, please be sure to rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts. We always want to hear from you and get your feedback. Of course, read us over at Indy Cornrows. Caitlin wrote a really great piece, really, really great piece on Terry Taylor over for the SB Nation main site that I think you should go read if you have not already. Um, Also, before we get started, uh, I just want to say, uh, we did not record an episode last week. We normally have two a week. Uh, I had some personal stuff come up, so I ended up taking a little bit of time off. Um, so I just appreciate you guys uh, hanging in there and, and uh, being patient. Uh, Caitlin, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm ready to talk about preseason basketball, Mark. <laughs> I wish it was preseason basketball. Um, yeah, we uh, we had some games happen this weekend. The Pacers went 0-3, losing to – I don't – Jesus Christ, that Denver game. The Denver game happened. There was a Denver game. I don't know how much we'll talk about that one outside of uh, outside of the sit category. But uh, yes, that the Denver game happened. Um, then they they played the Pistons yesterday. I'm trying to remember what the middle game was because I know what happened and I watched Boston. it. Boston. The Boston game, yes. Um, if you had one word to sum up this weekend, what would it be? Preseason. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good way to go. Um, before we dive into start subset, which I will let you define what that is momentarily. Um, I have a couple rants to get off my chest really quick, which that I feel like I'm watching in with bad energy automatically, but I need to bring it. Um, I think, I, I don't know. I don't need to go too long on this one. Caitlin and I have talked about this ad nauseum on the podcast. Um, if you think that Rick Carlisle is not deserving of criticism, you're well within your right to feel that way. But um, I think you and I have both laid out pretty extensively why we feel that he is deserving of criticism for how this year has gone. Um, it, you know, at least in his due part to it, like there just have been a lot of things that haven't made sense. Yes, this team is, um, I mean, I, I wouldn't necessarily agree that they're not trying to uh, to win when they're on the court. Uh, I mean, the, the Denver game, that's a different story, but um, overall, like they've been trying to do things in, like, they're not just blatantly, uh, tanking games uh, in my opinion, at least. I don't, I don't think, uh, would you still agree with that? I know there've been some where it's looked a little bit more like, especially with guys getting sat, but overall when they're playing in game, they're not doing anything like egregious. Yeah. And we're going to get into that when we yeah. get to my sit. So yeah, I would agree. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's part of where our frustration comes from is that, they are trying to win still, and some of the things that they do just don't make sense. And that's been the case all year. There have been things, um, you know. Of course, it got better with Sabonis, but I just—it's less. It's not even just Sabonis. It's like there's my biggest issue has just been a lot was made about how, especially in in the opening press conference from when he got hired, that Rick was an adaptable coach who was going to adapt his X's and O's to to whatever the roster is, and that just really hasn't felt like the case this year. And I think it's fine to be happy with the win and loss record because this team is going to get a lottery pick. Um, I think you can 
feel better about the direction, but I also do think it is pretty damn fair to criticize that um, a lot of things that have happened on court, both before they chose a new direction, which like we've talked about, not sure how much that new direction exists, but um, you know, it's, it, it, that there is warranted criticism here. So uh, I wanted to get that. Another thing I wanted to hit on too. Um, I, I don't think it would be like the biggest mistake of all time. If the Pacers do take a big in the NBA draft, um, you know, obviously everything is dependent on, on things that lead up to that. Um, you know, anything can happen between now and the draft or, or the night of the draft that could lead to differences in the roster. Um, as Caitlin and I have talked about, we don't really know what the roster is going to look like next year um, because it just does not feel like this is what it's going to look like next season, or at least I hope not. Uh, Cause then I would have even more questions, but um, point being, there was a there was a an article from from ESPN Draft Express. So Jonathan Gavoni, Mike Schmitz, both do really awesome work. Um, but they mocked uh, uh, Mark Williams, center, strictly center, out of Duke, uh, to the Pacers with uh, the the Cavs pick, which might end up not even conveying and being uh, the Pacers pick this year, considering how the Cavs season has started to to, to regress uh, due to injury. But point being. I would not be stoked if the Pacers took a a big in that moment. I think you can have, you know, quibble about, you know, um, well, this guy, you know, like you're, you're taking this guy and he's a he's a top 10 talent at this pick. And I get that to an extent, but also like Miles Turner is still on this team. Isaiah Jackson, as we've talked about, there's potential that he could be a four, but really he's been a lot more of a five, at least offensively to start. And there's there's a lot to work with there. Um, Jalen Smith still up in the air. No idea. Goga again, not really sure what to make of that. We I think there have been some brighter spots that we've talked about and we'll talk about today too. Um, but there just are so many questions. And I think to me, it's more, we know, as we talked about when I made Caitlin do that, absolutely heinous, uh, <laughs> what does this team need most, uh, ranking when it was, the answer was pretty much all of them. Um, like, I just think that if you look at this, it is so clear that the Pacers need wing talent, like wing and forward talent, guys who can handle, guys who can pass, guys who can shoot. Like there needs to be multidimensional talent. If that guy is at the big spot, great. Um, I do not think getting a guy who is strictly a pretty much strictly a lob threat who is not awesome at short rule decision making yet. Well, he is a really good interior presence on both ends. Like I think it's just bringing up another kind of awkward dichotomy of like well we have a lot of guys who need minutes at the same spot and we can't really play them all together so um yeah there that's my rant it's over um I'll, I'll probably write something on it too as i as i do some more draft coverage um but yeah just wanted to start off with that so caitlin what is star subset <laughs> star subset is basically what we have devised to recap the weekend pacers so we pick a segment of games in this case we're picking denver boston and detroit and we each select a start which is something that hey you know that that was cool or that's a good thing we pick a sub which is something that's essentially like cautiously optimistic or maybe we're on the fence about it and we pick a sit that's enough already so um, we can start off in that and hopefully, you know, after your, your rant, we can start with a start and hopefully these are positive. So do you want me to go first or do you want to go first? Uh, I will let you go first. Cause I just, okay. that was a lot of me talking. Um, I picked Tyrese Halliburton getting to the free throw line, yes. which I mean, there was a lot of 
good Tyrese content in these three games, if we're being honest. I mean, he just yesterday against Detroit had 19 assists and zero turnovers, making him, I believe, the only player this season with two such of those games of 15 or more assists and zero turnovers. The other one coming against his old team, the Sacramento Kings. Um, he was on fire against Boston, aside from the foul trouble, very aggressive and looking for a shot, particularly from three. Um, and then yesterday against Detroit did a lot of good things, but I specifically picked getting to the free throw line because he had eight free throw attempts in the game against Detroit. That's only something he's done three times this year, including the games that he played for the Kings. And it's mainly because of the way that he was getting the free throw attempts. So if we think back to the prior game against the Pistons in the fourth quarter, when Detroit really started switching and Isaiah Stewart's been better defending out on the perimeter this year on switches, the offense got very one and done and hitchy. And a lot of it got tilted to Brogdon because Halliburton can be somewhat hesitant against bigs and against length in those situations. So then Brogdon was trying to drive into some of that stuff. They couldn't get to the next action and it really just gummed up the offense. So in this game, he actually drove drove twice against Isaiah Stewart on a switch and got to the line twice for four of his eight free throw attempts. And the one time at the end of, I believe it was the last possession of the half. What I really liked about it was is they just went right into it. As soon as he got across half court, they set the screen really quick. And before Isaiah Jackson even had time to kind of surge up out of the switch, he was already downhill and went to the basket. And so just as that being a compare and contrast, but also when they were in Boston, like I think we can probably both point out like, what were the Celtics doing against Tyrese Halliburton from three? Like, I love that Tyrese was being, you know, very aggressive and that like, Hey, Marcus smart just rolled under that screen inexplicably and I'm going to stop and pop or they're really soft switching. And I'm going to, you know, step in and, and stop and pop and hit those shots. Eventually in the third quarter, the Celtics did start getting serious and, um, trapped him a couple times where he made good passes out to Goga and four on three situations. And then also, the one possession I really liked O'Shea came and set a screen um, side pick and roll without Horford. They switched it. And then what I said earlier about why they Isaiah Stewart couldn't surge up Horford actually did surge up and, and attack into that switch against Tyrese Tyrese backed up and then went right at that space and used, you know, his kind of patented low, very low gather so that he can be crafty and, and draw a foul getting into the free throw attempt. And that, those things really weren't things we were seeing even two weeks ago from him. So the fact that he's kind of changed his mentality in those situations and has really been looking, I mean, even in Denver, there was one where he used a hostage dribble, decelerated, and then went ahead the rest of the way to the basket and got to the free throw line. So um, as much as some of these games have been difficult to watch and really kind of difficult to parse, I think, you know, as him being the main future building Brock, their franchise player, his ability to get to the line is something that we've both talked about getting to the basket more often, what, what he's doing against some of these switches. So I think that that was all very positive, especially because I think that there are certain circumstances where sometimes they lean on Dwayne Washington a bit, like they closed with Dwayne against the Pistons. Um, because he like say what you want about some of his finishing and his passing, those are accurate critiques, but he really doesn't hesitate in those situations. Like even just looking back to when they played the Rockets like a week or two ago when Sengun was switching out against Halliburton, like he wasn't looking for those shots, and Dwayne Washington was twice and got and once. So um positive step forwards from Tyrese is what my long um soliloquy was about. Yeah. Um, I mean that flows right into to my my start, it's going to sound cliche. And you know me, I'm very much like I hate cliches and just like some of the annoying things can can, can come from it. But um, I mean, his 
the way just his intensity that he brought in all three games, I thought was part of what um, makes me so uh, appreciative of him as a player. Um, like, I don't know when uh, when he got traded um, or it was right before he got traded. I think it was like a week before he got traded to the Pacers. Um, he had this really extended uh, answer um, when he was in Sacramento about how he wanted to change the culture and he wasn't going to let it get the best of him, that they were a, a rough spot to be in. Um, and it's again, it sounds uh, just like whatever, you know, but um, in watching him, it comes out. And I think it's so huge for taking you know having somebody that you can rely on to, to get you to the next step or whatever or, or to get you somewhere else uh somebody who is an emotional leader or at least just somebody who's going to be out there and care um because frankly like we talked about like in that denver game jesus christ like that was i had to shut it off at halftime because that game was gross and honestly like i'm not just going to call out players by name or whatever but in these three games, I do think it's it's fair to say that Hallie was like one of the few few guys, if only, who was consistently bringing his energy and intensity on both ends. Um, like that Denver game was was inexcusable to a degree. Um, like in that, can, Boston, I, can I give you a stat from that Denver game? Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. Okay, so the score was fourteen to ten, Denver leading by four with five minutes and thirty seven seconds left to play in the first quarter. Mm-hmm. When the quarter was over. The Nuggets led 43 to 15. So in a five and a half minute stretch, the Pacers got outscored 29 to five. Good times. And I mean, and part of it, I mean, and not to bring down and pour rain on our start category, but like, it's what you're saying. Like a big part of it was they tried to play zone. Jokic tore that apart. Their rotations were very bad out of it. Their transition defense was as bad as always. Like, and I'm, I'm sorry. I mean, they rank like 28th in transition defense. And since the trade, they're, you know, right there toward the bottom. And a lot of times it's because guys are just not getting back. Like it doesn't even need to be a lot of technical writing for me. It's just flat out not getting back. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, and that is just, it's frustrating. It, but like, again, that's where it feeds into with, with Tyrese for me, you can still find faults with some of the things he's doing. Like on ball defense is going to be an issue for him until he gets bigger. Like, that's just that. I mean, that is what it is. But some of the play, like these three games, I thought was some of the best off ball defense he's played this year. Um, like he's been a bright spot in that throughout. Like, I think he can he can overhelp at times. But like he had that chase down block on Kelly Olenek yesterday, which that could have been an easy basket, like 100 percent. But like that was awesome to see, like some of the deflections and seals that he had too. He was just all over the place. Like he's really, you can see him out there trying to make an impact. And I thought like this has been the most aggressive he's been these this three game stretch. Um, obviously the Boston game for sure uh, was huge, but even yesterday he was really aggressive too. Uh, the game in Denver was, I mean, the only reason that game got close was because of him for the most part. Like uh, it just, that stuff matters. Um even if it does come off like cliche, like it does matter. And I think it was really impressive to me to see that, even though these games were not fun to watch. 100%. Is that your start? That is my start. Okay. Well, good. We both picked Tyrese then. How fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, it. yeah, we can both head to the sub category then. And my sub is very much uh, a lukewarm thing because I was happy to see it, but not happy for why it needed to happen. So Mm -hmm. I'm taking us to the third quarter of the Celtics game. And I want to put out there to begin with that 
Isaiah, that was Isaiah Jackson's first game back from having been out with a concussion and hopefully he's doing well and, and feeling well after all that and having, you know, the headaches like he did. So I take some of it with a grain of salt, but one thing that I'm going to bring up actually showed up when he was at Kentucky and has shown up prior to the concussion. So they're in the third quarter and they're doing some switching and Jalen and Jason Tatum both. Like I feel in a lot of cases, if you're a very good or crafty pick and roll ball handler, it's not going to be too hard to get past him, whether he's playing in a drop or on a switch and not because he's his ground coverage is super good in ways that like sometimes when you're watching them full court or half court trap, um, the way that he can surge up out of to go half court trap and they can get all the way back to cover the roll man is quite frankly, like incredible. Like I haven't seen a lot of people be able to do stuff like that, but in this case, like he leads with his left foot and in a way where it's not like he's shading Jalen or Jason to the left. And then he can't laterally take like one or two steps to cut them off. And it was just a parade right to the basket. He had other mistakes in that third quarter, like generally speaking, I just think most things on defense aside from when he gets like, you know, rotation blocks or the way that he can move mobily. He just has a pretty long way to go on that end of the floor, in my opinion. So it wasn't too long into the third quarter during his minutes where at long last, the thing that we both brought up on like three podcasts, they took him off of Al Horford and put Jalen Smith on Al Horford and Isaiah Jackson was guarding Grant Williams as the low usage for in in the corner and then being allowed to be used as a help defender because I just think they felt at that point like okay we're getting carved up let's make this adjustment and put him over there and let him slide back and forth and to be honest it wasn't that many possessions but I did want to recognize that it did at least happen because I think for him personally like what we have seen from Robert Williams in Boston if you do some undisciplined things on defense but you have really good tools and ability to to help and and to double in certain circumstances and move quickly from sideline to sideline that can accentuate you what you do and keep help keep both of them out of foul trouble. So I do think that there's potential with it in his case, like on the very first possession that he did it, like he needed a parachute on his closeout because he wanted to jump at Grant Williams's pump fake and went flying past. But um, it was a sighting of that. And I do think it's important if, if Miles Turner is going to remain on the roster that we see Isaiah Jackson doing more of that, because surely you're going to be having miles defending at the five. So you're going to want to make use of his mobility. So I wanted to bring up that. I knew you were going to bring that one up and I'm glad you did. Um, I agree. That was really nice to see. And I think like you pointed out, that was uh, I think that's where we're both and both of us are at with, with Isaiah. And it's not to be unfair to him, but just like you mentioned, there were so many times where he was playing at the level um, and he just gave up an inside angle that was like, man, like, and I mean, I, I wrote that in notes too. Like the recovery here is awesome. Like, I'm glad he can do this, but also that just, I mean, that's part of why he's getting into foul trouble. Like if you have to recover on every play or, or obviously it's not every play, but if you have to recover a lot, like, yeah, you're going to get, get, get into foul trouble often. And just giving up middle penetration like that was, uh, really damning in that game. Um, so yes, I am. I'm in the same boat with you. It was nice to see that. I, I again, part of like, man, I wish we could see Miles is here, um, get well soon. But um, yes, I am in. I'm in concurrence with you. So what do you have for your sub? My sub is one that is actually fueled by our our, our friends over at the Dunker Spot, Nikias um, Duncan and Steve Jones. If you guys don't listen to that podcast. What are you doing? Go listen to that podcast. It's fantastic. It's my favorite podcast out there. Um, 
So my, and I mean this more in like a positive way, but it's also kind of questioning and trying to figure out where we're at with it. And that's Terry Taylor as a shooter. Um, obviously yesterday. Okay. So like I had this one pegged the other day um, after listening to their podcast, I'd been thinking about it and I wanted to bring it up and, and talk about it with you. But then after yesterday, it made me think about it more too. Three of three off. Like those were low key kind of difficult shots. Like he took some pretty quick, quick, quick triggers, like not really any hesitation, um, one of them was like a sidestep too. Um, and I was very, I was impressed that it happened, but my thing is, where are you at with it? Because Steve brought up on the pod when talking about Terry, um, you know, like obviously they both, they both love what he brings like we do. Um, but I am interested to see how things work, uh, lineup wise, especially when the roster gets back to some semblance of health, you know, like if, if miles is here, um, what does it look like if he isn't, if he's still like in between being a shooter and not being a shooter and he's trended more towards not being a shooter for most of the year, to be fair. Um, but like, I, 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 it, I mean, obviously as, as we've talked about, like just taking the shots, even less hitting them, um, has such a big impact on how the defense is going to defend you. And I feel like that is kind of the next step on, you know, what, who he can be as a player and where he's going. And I am, I'm just very interested to see how that goes. And, and I'm wondering where you're at with that right now, too. Well, I think in part, I skew toward, I value spacing and positioning a lot mm-hmm. and what the defensive perception of that is. And I think that that's more important sometimes than how people make the shots. I think if he's yeah. in the corner and he's open, you want him to shoot, which I think he has been doing. It's been a wild adventure sometimes you know, it's three for three and other times he's not striking iron and it's an air ball, but I have seen him lately do things that allow you to still space the floor just in a different way. Like, yeah. I mean, he caught it on the baseline. Uh, I, I think in the game yesterday, Oh, then, are you talking about the turnaround jumper? Yeah. Off of oh, one God, leg. That was amazing. Yeah. I mean, he saw Isaiah Stewart collapse on him driving baseline. He spun away out of the trap and then off one leg made the fader too. I mean, I don't think that that's necessarily going to be a fixture of his game, but there's enough other things that he can do where it's like I've said before, if, if you're, if you're not a, a super reliable shooter or a credible shooting threat, can you still pass? Can you still catch the ball and, and drive and make a pass? Because that's still spacing the floor just in a different way versus, you know, if you're, you know, maybe someone a little bit more like Matisse Thibel where that isn't really part of your game and a person can really just roam off and, and you're not putting any pressure on. Yeah. Um, I think that the other thing Tyrese can do, or why did I say Tyrese, Terry can do, is that I think he can still experiment with his keeper. I think there's times in handoff situations where, you know, the criticism wants to be, well, he's not even looking at the rim. I'm like, well, the play isn't formed to look at the rim. The play yeah. is an overplay and they're running blind pig action. So he's waiting for them to move and make the pass. But I think he can do stuff with the keeper because I've seen him do it throughout the season where if there is going to be a switch in that cir- circumstance, then he can put the ball on the floor and attack in that way. I think he could be more aggressive in those situations. So I think there's ways to mitigate it. And also, like, depending upon how matchups go, which was kind of the point of what I was putting in the article, I've seen times this season where teams have altered where ways they're guarding because of what he does Um screening the undersides of, of switches and staying below the switch and being able to slip and get to the basket. So like, you know, if they're going to put Denny Avdia on Tyrese Halliburton, then, you know, he can impact it and be an offensive rebounder. 
Um, and it's curious to me, like, I don't necessarily think it would be the case if he was out there in minutes with miles, though. I don't know how many minutes he would be out there in minutes with miles, but you know, he's out there with Goga and they're using him as the role man, not Goga. Like they're using Goga as the spacer. So if he was out there with Isaiah Jackson and Isaiah Jackson was the role man, then you could use Terry Taylor as the pick and pop guy. And the benefit of Terry Taylor is because he's six, five, you know, he can do pick and pop and drive. So if you can pop out of that and still put the ball on the floor and then make a pass, like it's not, if you can make quick decisions out of it, it's not so damaging that I don't think that he can be a player on your roster. And also against Denver late in that game against the Nuggets, um, they finally adjusted and were like, Hey, we're not going to have bones Highland and and Monte Morris defend Tyrese anymore. We're going to put Aaron Gordon on Tyrese. Terry was still on the floor in those minutes. So now Terry's drawing the Monte Morris matchup. And then he's just using bully drives. Like the one time he, he drove into a post-up from clear outside the three-point line, stayed on balance, didn't lower his shoulder and used his hip to get to the rim and scored. So I just think that there's enough little other things to do that I'm, I'm not super concerned by it yet. Um, we also don't know what type of role he's going to have next year and whether teams would be doing a lot of scheming around what his three-point shooting necessarily is. I think it's important that he be able to, to at least feel comfortable attempting corner threes, but um, I think he has a skill set that he can do enough other things that he can mask for some of that. Yeah, so I totally agree. Um, I think maybe it was unfair. I was looking at it more in terms of like um, a little bit of like where the um, can I? Geez, what am I even trying to say? You know, what does this look like in more of a playoff setting? Which maybe that's unfair. But again, with this team like quote unquote wanting to be in the playoffs next year, um, I think that's kind of what I was thinking about too. Because like, I don't. He's obviously not the same player as Thad, but. I, I just like that's one of the things that I've thought about too. Like, okay, what does this look like if he is just in the corner? And I know like there have been there's a lot more going on with with dribble handoffs. Like, I, I do think it would look different for Thad if you were on the roster now, or like even if you take him from a couple of years ago and they're running similar stuff and the the way that the NBA has evolved, they're they're looking at it the same way too. Like, because I mean, even even since 2017 or 2018, like the game has changed a bunch. Um, but yeah, it's just like little things. Like, I agree with you. I think he's gotten a lot more comfortable. It'll just be interesting to see. Uh, um how that continues to grow and like even that he had like a slot drive yesterday too like he caught the ball like right in the slot took a dribble to his left and like got to the rim it was really nice he he had a he had honestly he had, an, he had an awesome game yesterday yeah I mean it's more for me because I mean like what you're saying like Tyree I mean Thad was never doing a lot in handoff situations like when they got into that Boston series and, you know, some of that was the case, you know, between he and Miles, that even though Miles was starting at solo five in some of those mm-hmm. playoff series, like Thad was drawing the five man who then wouldn't guard him and Miles would often be guarded by the four. So it would be like Aaron Baines in that Boston series guarding Thad. Um, and while Thad is good at manufacturing angles and, and making himself available, they weren't going to be using Thad regularly yeah. as a screener or to go out and run a handoff. And like, I mean, I have a number in that article on Terry Taylor. Like if you look at his frequency and I ran it all through a spreadsheet, like I imported all of it with heights, like it's rather absurd at his height, how frequently and how efficiently he's scoring out of the role. And I do think like a few times in these games, I actually did notice that he's had a little bit of role gravity now where people actually are pulling in and helping over on him. So he hasn't gotten quite the same touches, but then there you go. Like he's actually having some degree of role gravity as a six foot five player. So um, it's, it's a little bit different, but what, 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 oh, I guess we're moving to sit now. Yeah. Oh, this is going to be a fun time. So many things to choose from. Like, I mean, 
there were, I mean, the first quarter against Denver really screams at us. And so does, you know, Lance taking a foul against Kelly Olenek at the end of the third quarter yesterday when Lance Detroit was Austin rivers too. like that was... when Detroit was already in the bonus, he took a foul against Kelly Olenek and just gave them three points. Um, also like something that keeps standing out to me about this roster in general is like, can you name to me five things that you're like, that's something that somebody on this roster does that's physical. No. Like I was trying in my head and I was like, okay, Terry Taylor on the glass or using a bully drive. That's using physicality. Lance Stevenson, sometimes when he's driving to the rim, going to his right can, mm-hmm. can be pretty physical. Um, Kiefer Sykes this is going to sound funny, but Kiefer Sykes, when he's really, you know, because of his size and because sometimes they've been using a lot of extended pressure when he's face guarding or pressing all the way up the court, he can get pretty physical on ball defending. Um, is that the end of the list? I'd be close. Like maybe Malcolm on drives. Yeah. But like, yeah, yeah exactly. Like it's a, it's a very short list. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, sometimes I want to point that one out because I mean, I was looking this morning and we've joked before, but like thinking of a, diff- a specific type of action that, they could competently defend where you'd be like, yes, that's something that they defend well and they can get a stop against. Like if you look at it, they're 30th in pick and roll defense, 30th in defending the roll man, like 27th defending the post, 25th defending cuts. But like the post thing, like I I don't, and that was the thing against Jokic throughout most of that game. I mean, I'm not saying I expected them to have an answer for the league MVP, but it was just so evident the lack of physicality they had to throw at him in those situations. Goga got ragdolled a few times. Yes. And it wasn't just um, him, but yeah, it was, uh, no. it was very apparent. Never forget what Mo Bamba did to, to Goga. Oh my God. That was tough. Um, so, but ultimately, despite all of those things, I'm picking the last eight minutes and 28 seconds of the Pistons game yesterday, because I don't know how much this got pointed out during the game. Cause I admit I could not watch that game live. I had to watch it after the fact last night because I had mm. something else going on. So I don't know what the conversation was like on Twitter, but I pointed it out this morning because I just want to point and say that Isaiah Stewart and Sadiq Bay did not play in the fourth quarter. The Pistons with eight minutes and 28 seconds left played a lineup of Braxton key Carson Edwards, who they signed hours before the game started Rodney Magruder, Livers, and Frank Jackson. Those five players played the last eight minutes and 28 seconds without a sub. They scored 14 points on 29% shooting the rest of the way, and the Pacers lost by four. Now, I'm not saying that the Pacers, like, I mean, clearly, you know, I know a lot of people are, you know, worshiping the tank and want them to get a good draft pick, and I'm not saying that that isn't a worthy goal, that, like, getting somebody potentially in the top five of this draft wouldn't be potentially changing for the franchise. They haven't had a single-digit draft pick since before I was born. I understand all of that, but it's like what you tipped off the beginning of this podcast with. By comparison, that screams to me that the Pistons were doing everything they could to lose that game. And this is not me trying to be derogatory towards those five players. They're getting an opportunity to play in the NBA. Their coach put them out there. They're playing hard. Like this is about franchise decisions. And for the Pacers, Tyrese and Buddy played that entire time. I think O'Shea played nearly that entire time. Um, By the end of the game, when they were down within like two or four points, they were full court pressing and half court trapping to get the ball out of Carson Edwards' hands. It was pretty evident which team was trying to win that game 
and which team was not. And it's like what you were saying before, like for the most part, it feels like the Pacers are at least attempting to win these games. And at what point do you look through this lens and not be critical of what, what the overall product has been. And we both gave credit to what Tyrese's overall game was yesterday. He had a fantastic game, 19 assists and zero turnovers. There's nothing to just paint over and act like that wasn't a thing. But even with him having those kind of numbers, he nearly had a triple double. And they lost to a Detroit Pistons team that clearly was not trying to win that game. Um, I think that that's worth talking about without just like getting replies that are tank gifs and other stuff. Cause like, sorry, of the two teams, the Pacers were not the tanking team yesterday. And yeah. that's the result. And like, I don't want to just nitpick Isaiah Jackson either. Cause I'm, I'm excited about his overall potential. He had some amazing plays yesterday as well. Had the great block late in the fourth quarter, ran the floor and slipped. And Tyrese had that no look pass and transition. That's all well and good. But like one thing that he's really going to need to change and fix is the extracurriculars on the screens. I mean, they're, they're down four with what, like 58 seconds to play on a critical play. And it's not just like, I know miles Turner used to get called for a lot of illegal screens, but in miles's case, it's because he would move before the ball handler got there. And that was just something he needed to clean up. And Isaiah Jackson's case, like he set a ton of illegal screens at Kentucky and he sticks his elbow out trying to hit and make contact. Or like when he got the concussion and the ball hit him in the head, he got called for the illegal screen. Cause he just inexplicably was like, he sticks out part of his body and attempt to make contacts. That's just super extra. That doesn't need to happen. Like that stuff needs to, to stop. But my yeah. overall take with this sit is, like if the Pacers are going to play these games, like they're at least attempting to win them. And I'm not saying that like, yes, we all know that TJ Warren is even with the team. Miles Turner has been shut down with the seasons by for the season, by all accounts, TJ McConnell and Chris Duarte probably have been too. Um, we can also laugh at the fact that Malcolm Brogdon for like a week was listed as like one day last week, I believe against Denver in the morning, he was listed as questionable with rest. What does that even mean? Like, is that the quality of your nap? If you find the right pillow, you'll be good to go. How are you questionable with rest? And then it was, he's questionable with back soreness. So I get that all those shenanigans are going on, but also like we both chose this. We're both in media. We're both employed to write articles and to talk about this team. So I'm going to talk about the team, like what you said before and evaluate what's going on the court and ask a very real question about, yes, I get that they're going to add better players back next year. I get that they're going to have a shiny new draft pick, but are you at all concerned in the tiny bit that they couldn't win this game over the Detroit Pistons yesterday, given that it seemed that they were trying to. Uh, yes. Like that was not good. Um, I know, like, like, I mean, what else are we supposed to take away from it? Like, that was, that was gross. It was a very gross game. Um, and, and I know we can do the hemming and hawing, like, oh, well, they didn't have miles, and they, they didn't, they didn't have their starting lineup that they were supposed to. I'm like, well, yeah, but Detroit was playing a G League squad, so I just struggle to see any real sympathy in that. Like that. That's just a bad loss. If this is what, if, if what you're doing, like, it's just what we've talked about a bunch. What habits is this, are, are this building for next year? Is this building? Geez, I can't, I can't adjective today. Um, what habits is this building for next year that are positive? You know, like it just, I can't get there. Well, yeah, because I think they had six turnovers during that stretch. Um, they've given up 
I believe 115 or 120 points and seven of these last or six of these last seven games that they've lost straight. Um, there's only three games left in the season. It looks pretty likely unless, you know, the Sixers or the Nets just decide that they don't want to play guys in these games, that they're probably going to end the season on a 10 game losing streak. And I'm not saying that like, I'm going to make decisions in the off season based on the fact that they lost this game to the Pistons, but like in the sense that I don't think that we can just write everything off about what's going on with the defense and other stuff Mm. about just only who isn't playing and that this is a lost season and it's about tanking. Like I, I can't get there because even like, I hate to say this, but the defense was not good long before the the direction changed at the trade deadline. This is going clear back to the start of December when the other available starters for the most part were still playing like, and then it just becomes a question of exactly how are you going about fixing it? Cause I just don't think it's fair even to miles Turner. Like, yes, miles Turner is clearly an upgrade over who they have out there at center right now. There's a very real reason why the Pacers are the worst team in the NBA at defending both the pick and roll ball handler and the roll man. You can see that every game. I think that he will help you in that regard, but I don't think that he should be expected to just come back if he is still on the team next year and just wave a magic wand and it's all going to be fixed without making other changes to the roster to address that or making significant schematic changes to get a clear direction on what the aim is. And I know we've said this on other podcasts, but I do want to underscore it because I know that I personally was very critical of Nate Bjorken and what the defense was last year. And I don't feel bad about that. I think that my criticism was when I wrote about the junk defenses in the zone were quite frankly, accurate and warranted. I think it was warranted to ask why they were going over on every Russell Westbrook screen and funneling that degree of action to the rim, even when Miles wasn't on the floor and why they thought that was viable with Sabonis. I don't think the overall system fit the roster that Nate Bjorkren had, and I don't think he wanted to coach the roster that he had on the defensive end of the floor. All that being said, I know what the purpose and what they were trying to accomplish was on Nate Bjork, under Nate Bjorkren. I could watch every game and be like, well, it doesn't look like they've barely practiced this and it's, it's not put together all that well. And I don't think it makes a lot of sense, but I know that they're just trying to funnel as much as they can to the rim and hoping that miles Turner can block as many shots as possible and get people to pass out of shots at the rim and alter stuff there. When I watch the Pacers play this season, I just keep tracking all the different defensive changes they've made. And while at times I can understand why they're morphing to all those things and why, you know, they were hedging with Sabonis and why they eventually started also hedging with miles. And, you know, why after the deadline, when you don't have a lot of time mid season to put together a system with what new players you have that they were switching and why now sometimes they don't switch and they put Goga at the level or they play Isaiah Jackson at the level, or sometimes they drop them deep. It's like, it's just taking on more and more forms and none of it has fixed what the overall holes are with the roster. And quite frankly, like some of these players were still on the team two years ago when this was a top six defense. So I do watch a lot of these games, even during this seven game losing streak, when I know that there's no incentive to really be, you know, there's nothing that they're playing for. And I still think that there's things to be taken away from it in terms of what they're going to have to do this summer. And that that the defense has to be the number one priority. They said it was the number one priority at media day this year with defense and togetherness. That's what we got to fix. 
Well, it got worse. So that falls on someone. And it's not just that we got younger because the problems existed there before they got younger and made the veer towards the rebuild or the retool or the refresh or whatever they're calling it. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, we're in the same boat there. Um, well, I guess I can go into my sit. Um, <laughs> it's going to be unfair. Uh, or maybe it'll sound unfair, but I don't know. Buddy Heald's passing is there for me right now. Um, like I know that, and we've, we've talked about it too. And I think it's been cool to see how much people have noticed it on the outside. Um, like he has opened up his game a little bit, but also the, uh, some of the passes he's, he's thrown, especially in these last three games were just rough, like a lot of grenade passes to teammates. Um, that just feel more like, yes, he's, he's throwing to an open man, but it feels more like I can't get a shot. So I'm just going to throw you the ball. Um, and I mean, just a lot of the ball placement in general, some of the premeditated stuff he does, um, it was, it was a lot in these three games. Uh, I think I'm trying to look right now. I think he averaged just under four turnovers a game, um, which is not everything. And I appreciate his audacity on some of the passes too, but, um, they felt particularly painful, especially in the Boston game. Yeah. I mean, I think with Buddy it goes back to somewhat what we talked on the last podcast about how, you know, some of his secondary skills have expanded with the Pacers versus what was going on in Sacramento and why I think mm. that there probably needed to be more nuance to that discussion about why some of that change happened. But like, he's kind of having to do more of it than what, you know, especially on a good team you would want him to be doing because like, to be frank, who else is really going to be doing yeah. like it? If you're running, like I said, how many times a game do they run somebody off of, you know, a stagger to the other side of the floor and then Tyrese passes it to that guy. Then that guy passes it back to Tyrese, but the other guy also has the option to run pick and roll on their side of the floor. Like there's not a lot of people to do that with. Like you're looking at Lance or Dwayne practically. Like if you don't have TJ McConnell, you don't have Malcolm Brogdon, you don't have Chris Duarte, like they don't have a lot of guys to initiate stuff. And there are times where Buddy's probably being overtaxed there where if the roster was fully healthy, it would be easing his burden. Now it does go back somewhat to his mentality and what he's going to be willing to accept as a role when his role does naturally get reduced as I would think it would, if they, if they bring back the guys who are available to be brought back next year. Um, I think that I, I always feel pretty good about his overhead passes, especially when he draws two to the ball. I think he does a pretty good job of yeah. getting that overhead the one out of a slip to the, to the corner that I don't feel as good about. Yeah. It, it's yeah. It's when he's having to make other passes where he's actually in motion that it gets to be, um, a little bit more of a problem. So, I mean, I don't blame you for picking it up. I mean, there are moments kind of what you're saying where it's almost like, this is going to sound more derogatory than I wanted to, but like, you know, when you're watching a toddler play with a toy and it's like, Oh, I'm playing with this toy. And then all of a sudden it's just like, "Ah, I'm done with that. I want to move on to something else. Like it it can kind of be like that. Like I'm looking for a shot. I'm looking for a shot. Well, I can't get it. Okay. I'm done with it. You do something with it. And then it is putting some teammates in a bad position. Yeah. Um, yes. Uh, I think this was more like, I, I, if I, if I didn't do the rant at the beginning, that would have been my, my sit, but, um, buddy's turnovers were just, they, they were a lot this week. Um, and it's not, again, not just the turnovers, but yes. So I think we are, we're in locks up there. Um, is there anything else you want to hit on before we get out of here for this week or for, for today? 
No, I mean, I think that we pretty much covered the good and, and the bad of those three games. Um, we have three games left in the season. They're going to play the Sixers for their final home game tomorrow night. And then over the weekend, play a back-to-back against the Sixers and the Nets. Um, I doubt that we'll do another one of this type of podcast. We probably have some other stuff planned and then we'll head into the off season and probably give people more of the content that they hopefully want. I know that I've had, I don't know how your feedback has been. I've had a lot of people giving me feedback. They're like, you just have to understand that people don't care about this team anymore. Well, in response to that and to anybody that's actually listening and actually does care to hear about this team, we still have to talk about them and what, what they're doing out on the court and how that can impact what they do this summer and next season. So we will still be, be back putting, effort into these podcasts that is correct well caitlin uh this was a blast as always we we will be back um to everyone listening thank you for listening and most importantly if you haven't already go rate and review the podcast if you have not send us any questions comments thoughts concerns i don't know why i said comments like i had an accent but it happened um and have a good rest of your day